G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. Well, Dad, we're back. We're back for another week. Yes, but in a different way. It's kind of like a mini topic, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It, it is something that we, uh, we we chatted about over the break, and we thought that we'd do this a, a little bit this year in terms of maybe doubling up on a topic in some ways. But at the same time, we thought with last week's podcast on flow, there was so much that we wanted to get in there from more of an individual perspective in some ways. And, and so we thought that we'd hold off a little bit of that content and serve up another little mini episode for this week as well. So yeah, hopefully we're going to have a, a few more episodes throughout the year as we uh, retouch on a topic that we may have done the previous week as well. Yes, and it does give us a chance to expand on a theme that we've covered in a main episode the week before. So this time we're looking at flow and relationships. Certainly, and we've called this this little episode here Flow, Family and Friendships. So, Dad, one of the things that really stood out to me talking about flow in our last episode, and, and look, I will mention if, if you are new to the podcast and this is your first episode, first of all, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. But look, it might even be worth going back and listening to last week's episode on flow uh, because there will be a little bit of information in there that you might find helpful to get your head around today's topic a little bit more. So, Dad, one of the things that, yeah, as I say, stood out about the last topic was just the individual nature of flow in many ways in terms of, you know, we spoke about the way that we each have our own character strengths, we each have our own personality and our experience of flow is going to, in many ways, relate to that. But at the same time, there's got to be a whole lot of situations where we don't necessarily want to just be on our own journey, if that makes sense. We want to, I suppose, work in tandem we want to have flow in tandem with those around us whether they be family members those we're in a relationship with and friends of course too so do you want to just give us a bit of a, a brief overview what are we going to be talking about today that was maybe slightly different from last week okay well as we described last week we talked about the notion of flow developed by me high chick sent me high a positive psychology leader who is looking at different aspects that help us get the most out of life, how we might maximise our opportunities for enjoyment and fulfilment in life. So people might often have heard of flow as being a state of mind or experience that people have, for example, if they're engaging in a really skilled activity like it might be one of the Olympic skiers, for example, who are flying down a hill or negotiating moguls and just doing so so gracefully that they're showing this immense skill and and they're so in the moment that it's like they're at one with the mountain. There's that kind of notion of a peak experience of flow But it also means the more enduring, satisfying experiences that we have in life that, as Freud said, that we tend to get the greatest happiness in life out of work and love. And so part of that is our relationships. There's another aspect with flow that we talked about last time, to really find yourself, and so direction in life, meaning, purpose, that also relates to finding flow in our experiences more reliably, so to speak, It helps for us to become differentiated as people, so find ourselves, Jung referred to that as individuation, but also to integrate ourselves with others. Well, we can never think of a better example than differentiating ourselves and integrating with others than, say, in a primary relationship or in a family setting. So we'll be talking today about how flow relates to relationships, family and friendships. 
Well, it's a really interesting thing because, you know, as we spoke about last week, you know, in many ways, flow is an individual thing. That example that you used there, it's a very individual example. But at the same time, I think there's this sense that in some situations, whether they be, you know, families, whether they be relationships or, or friendships as well, even just groups, acquaintances, you can be in that dynamic where it really does feel like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole in some sense. It's, it's not as if you're all working independently of each other, but beside each other, there is that sense of the group almost forming its own kind of dynamic and culture and, and almost being its own sense of flow, but in terms of more of a group sense of flow or a, or a partnership of flow. And, and is that your sense of it too, where when those situations do arise where it does feel like there is that kind of some of the parts greater than the whole dynamic, is that related to flow as well? Yes, I think there can be something very satisfying about being part of something larger than ourselves. That can include being in a relationship. But also actually, as you mentioned that, I was actually thinking also of a crowd experience, becoming immersed in that. I remember many years ago, having not been to the MCG to watch a football game for quite a number of years, And it was one match where there were about 50,000 people there. And I remember when your own home side kicked a goal, just the roar of the crowd and people tend to leap to their feet, arms in the air. It's a kind of ecstasy. You know, that word means standing outside yourself. That ecstasy, and I think we can experience that a little bit more in the company of other people, if you like, being part of something larger. It might be people in a singing group or something like that. It might be people on a sporting team where a lot of people have joined together in a particular movement that's led to a goal or something like that. Yes, there's an extra satisfaction that can come from being part of something larger. Certainly, and yeah, look at, you know, as you described there, I I can't let a sporting example go by without commenting, Dad. So, yeah, like one thing that comes to mind to me is just the pitch of crowd noise that you hear sometimes. Like we were at the uh, the cricket over the summer and Scotty Boland, the big boy, he did what he does and he was taking wickets left, right and centre. And I remember watching the replay of that and obviously being there and just the pitch at which that first sound that the crowd makes it's almost it's so much higher than any other kind of exclamation that you'd hear in normal life it almost sounds like a baby crying in some ways like it's almost that like just fever pitch and then it sort of settles down a little bit but yeah I really like that idea of almost just the the nexus that we can have with other people it can be intangible in some ways but there is that sense that it's almost like that collective unconscious idea you can tap into that a little bit Yes, and really being in the moment, that does bring back memories and that was something where being part of so many people who are part of one moment together, that's a pretty special kind of experience. But going back to a little bit what you said before, Dad, about families and relationships and friendships, you know, one thing I've heard in the past is, you know, you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family is sort of this uh, this term and, and I wonder if that maybe is a little bit of a reflection on you know, there's some families who maybe don't experience this collective flow. Maybe within a family setting, people don't feel as comfortable to be differentiated and integrated like they do with their friends. And so maybe what that is a a bit of a sense of is that there is a little bit of a difference in that situation. And and what really stands out to me is that if we recognise some of this stuff, then we can almost reverse engineer it in a way. We can we can look at things like you know shared goals and and whether we're yeah stretching ourselves together and that sort of thing. But yeah, I wonder your thoughts on that too. Yes, I think the thing that stands out is that Chick notions of flow 
apply not just to, for example, working on a skilled work task or a sporting activity. It also applies to a relationship. But at first, that's not necessarily the most intuitive way of looking at it. But when you think about it, let's think of the most primary relationship that happens in a family, for example. Say a couple choose to get together, they choose to get married, maybe start a family, build a home, start a family. Now, when things go well in a relationship, it's going to have a number of characteristics to it that overlap with flow. Like, first of all, there will be a purpose. For example, creating a family, hopefully not just the notion of any family, but hopefully creating a harmonious, vibrant family, for example, or a family which engages in certain cultural values, if you like. There'll be a purpose there, and it's voluntary. Now, another feature of flow, it involves a challenge. Well, there's an essential challenge built in. When somebody gets married or engages in any long-term relationship in a committed way, you're committing yourself to make a very fundamental or radical adjustment. No longer are you just looking at what suits you in terms of, if you like, how you like to spend your time, flow, oh, this is what I like doing. You're very much looking to accommodate a partner as well. So you both have the opportunity to be yourselves, to differentiate, but work that in together. Well, there are many challenges that are going to come with that. So there's going to be a stretch People will have come from maybe slightly different cultural backgrounds or have somewhat different values or have some different ideas about child rearing or have different preferences for how to spend holidays. Just by the nature of being in a committed relationship, there are going to be challenges that go with that. There will be some kind of stretch. But again, if it's a healthy relationship where there's more likely flow, one of the features of flow, feedback. There'll be open communication between the partners. They'll have a way where they can say if something bothers them, they like something, they appreciate something, they want something else. They'll be able to negotiate with each other in some way. They'll be able to understand each other in some ways. They'll have that interest and look to draw out from their partner what they think, what they like, what they don't like, what they feel about situations. So again, that helps that differentiating and that integration. There's a challenge built in. And I like the way that Joseph Campbell put it. He said, the thing about a relationship, for example, when there's conflict, is not to think of yourself as sacrificing to your partner, but sacrificing to the relationship. In other words, you recognise there's a challenge built in, but to voluntarily be prepared at times to forego what might be an immediate wish or want or preference, to really have that interest of factoring in your partner having the opportunity to develop themselves to their greatest level within the opportunities that you have. Well, it's interesting as you describe that there because what comes to mind for me is that idea of the honeymoon period in a relationship. And I wonder if in some ways within a honeymoon period, there's almost a natural kind of flow element to it in terms of it's a bit of a joint venture in some ways. You're, you're calibrating your interests and your values with each other. And, and so it's almost like, through that stage of, of kind of forming a, forming that relationship. And as you say, sort of, it's almost as if each of you are kind of giving something into that relationship. Well, I wonder if it reaches almost a stage when that kind of period ends in its kind of more natural, organic form. And then we almost have to, I suppose, be a little bit more mindful and intentional with it. To go back to what we were talking about last week with that idea of intention, 
It seems to me in a relationship that, you know, if, if we're not intentional about this sort of stuff, then we can maybe go through that honeymoon phase and maybe fall into some routines and maybe we're not necessarily stretching ourselves together after that phase as much. And so maybe we do need to be a little bit more intentional once we've passed through that kind of organic honeymoon phase of, of what are some of the things from that phase that we can actually kind of retain, that we can almost reverse engineer and go, well, what actually was it about that time? How are we going to be able to continue that on? And whether it be, you know, something like a scheduled in conversation and these things. And uh, yeah, I wonder if something like that would be of benefit in that situation. Yes, that's very important, isn't it, to allow for those different stages because natural at first, as you say, that honeymoon phase, naturally there's likely to be a lot of flow with that. Part of that can come with what we call limerence, that sexual attraction. But that sexual attraction is likely to last in its more obvious form for maybe a couple of years. And if people have just relied on that sexual attraction to be the basis of a relationship, well, that's going to make it very difficult to deal with the routine compromises that are part of being part of any relationship. And so that's where over time, for flow, the thing is to be open to new challenges, which is also allowing one's partner to grow, staying interested, not just in how you can develop further as a person, but being open to noticing the way that your partner can develop as well. That can also include things like varying routines, not just passively looking at what you might get from the relationship. Like with flow, any activity, any skill that you're engaging in, any sporting event, it's about the investment of attention and energy. And that's where a number of people might get into a bit of a rut after a period of time or become a bit complacent. Just like friendships as well need some input of energy and time, certainly a primary relationship does as well rather than going through the motions. And having open communication as part of that, that's something that can actually deepen as partners are together over a period of time they'll come to know more about some of each other's ways of reacting and sometimes how they think or maybe even being able to finish off each other's sentences in some ways now it's great to be able to recognize and tune into one's partner but it's not becoming complacent and think oh I, I know them I know all about them once someone starts thinking they know all about their partner a relationship will stop growing well, it seems to me it just comes back to that idea of, you know, differentiate and integrate. And it also seems that maybe the more that you do differentiate, it maybe calls upon a bit more integration too. And I wonder if that is where maybe that open feedback and open communication comes in, because without that, it, it'd be very hard to, to reintegrate having differentiated from each other a bit. Absolutely. And look, you described that well. So we can also think about family relationships now and how flow might apply to that. Again, clearly it's going to need that input of energy and time, but with some kind of focus. So families will have their own kinds of activities or rituals that they engage in, things that they like doing on the weekends, ways they spend holidays, whether it be camping, whether they like going to the footy, something like that. But it'll involve some kind of physical activity. And the more attention involvement people put into that, the more they'll get out of that. And so with a family as well, it often involves constant supply, if you like, of short-term goals, as in short-term activities, having things planned for the weekend, having different kind of things that you do. That's important to be able to have that kind of focus. But also as one example of something that can work with a family, 
just think of that quintessential example of differentiating and integrating going to an ice cream shop. It's the one activity that presumably most people will enjoy, but you can choose your own flavour ice cream. That's an example of that, but also can include on holidays, people might go to a particular place like we used to, like go to Port Ferry, for example. There's lots of different activities that you can do. So adults, children of range of ages, there's plenty of things you can do. Go to the surf beach, go to the pub even, camp dinners, things like that, play soccer, whatever you might do. Have a mix of different activities you can engage in. Well, it seems to me that uh, that, that works, Dad, and, and one of the reasons that I say that is, is every so often on this podcast there comes up something where oh, I look back to my childhood and I think, I reckon I can think of an example of exactly that kind of in practice. And, and I remember one thing about that is just that whole shared, shared uh, objectives idea within a family is it's one thing I think it worked really well in our family in many ways was, uh, was when we were kids, we, uh, the three of us wanted a basketball hoop. And I remember you and mum had a, had a deal with this where it was like we had to earn a certain amount of good behaviour points. And myself and my sisters, we had to obviously work together and we could have them deducted if we weren't, uh, if we weren't getting along well enough. But basically over the course of, you know, it was, it was a while, we uh, obviously weren't the best behaved children going around. But uh, eventually it was like we'd earned the basketball hoop through you know, sustained good behaviour and getting on and all this sort of stuff. But I suppose what came from that from the other side is, you know, we played so much basketball after that, the three of us sort of thing. Like, to me, it was it, it was a great example of, you know, I didn't necessarily realise at the time, but there was that kind of shared goal between the three of us to, you know, earn the basketball hoop and then it was kind of playing basketball became that kind of shared thing. So, yeah, no, I'd recognise that example maybe uh, maybe from my childhood. Well, I'm delighted to hear that example and some kind of affirmation that there's some things that your mother and I did well, but I like the idea of the good behaviour points because, hey, there's another feature of flow, isn't it? Feedback. Feedback about when something's going well or not. And, hey, if the three of you work together and getting the good behaviour points, I bet there was a bit of a stretch there every now and then too to try and do that and get on with each other, which is another flow experience. So, so there you go. Well, as you say, potentially, uh, potentially I'll look back and look, maybe there was a few times when I was probably maybe a thorn in the side of our collective goal towards, uh, towards getting the basketball hoop. And I think maybe part of the reason for that was, you know, I was a teenager at the time, Dad. And, and one of the things that strikes me about this idea of differentiation and integration is that, you know, for teenagers, it's such a, a period of intense differentiation at times. And I think just naturally it can be hard to keep that balance of, of differentiation and integration if that makes sense it's it can be so much of a focus on becoming our own people and differentiating ourselves from you know our family even our friends at times that maybe it, it's just a, a facet of that part of life maybe that there isn't as much focus on the integration side of things Yes, a very important aspect that in family life when children reach adolescence, and this is where it's really important for the parents to keep in mind that the child's role at an adolescent stage is to grow away from the family, is to differentiate. That's a key part of the role. Certainly, hopefully, being able to be connected with the family, but that differentiation is important. And so that's where it's absolutely crucial that the parent shows acceptance of the child. Again, it's trying to create that circumstance where the child, the adolescent, is likely to feel the self-confidence and assurance that comes with being loved and cared for, but also 
where there are some kind of consequences for breaking rules. Again, that's the feedback aspect of flow. So it's not like anything goes. The parents are prepared to set some limits and have consequences, but it's not like damning the person. It's more a guide of what kind of behaviour is considered okay or not or acceptable or not or working well or not. But again, this will make such a difference if the parents are still investing that, as Csikszentmihalyi would describe it, unstinting attention in the child, the adolescent at that stage. And one thing that shows up that way is it's only when child and adolescent will feel that love and acceptance, that unconditional acceptance at home, that they're likely to manage more or manage better with their concerns about approval from their peers. If people feel that they're not so accepted at home or they feel shame or they're really doubting themselves or thinking that they're a bad person or something like that, then there's much more risk that in adolescent years they'll be doing whatever they can to get the approval of peers and that might include engaging in risky or harmful kind of behaviours, drug taking, other kind of behaviours, promiscuous behaviour. Adolescents will be more at risk if they're not experiencing that sense of acceptance and connection at home. And I wonder as well, you know, there there will be some people in in family situations who didn't experience much integration in their childhood. And and I wonder if maybe part of this as well is in recognising some of that. And, and, you know, it's it's one thing that you hear about is that people who have, you know, tumultuous early lives, uh, there's patterns that can continue throughout the rest of their life. And, and I wonder if part of that is, is just not having a sense of that integration. If all you have is the concept of the differentiation side of things, well, how are you then going to integrate with people, you know, as you further differentiate in life and so, uh, and grow in, in life as well? And so I wonder if, yeah, part of it as well is, you know, if, you, if you're in that situation yourself, you may know someone in that situation, it's looking at how can we further integrate them into our collective dynamic into our culture into our family or friendship culture and and so that's where I think looking at some of this stuff to me is just so valuable because yeah it it seems to be almost the mechanics of how we can really benefit from this overall. Yes that reminds me what you're describing when people have experienced say invalidating environments in childhood it might have been repeated childhood abuse or trauma when people have been mistreated, bullied, they feel there's been emotional neglect, then people are at more risk of not engaging in healthy relationships down the track. So it can help to think of what would be some of the characteristics of positive relationships? Where are we more likely to feel flow? And this reminds me that when I see people as clients who've had more tumultuous childhoods, people might experience complex trauma reactions, dissociative experiences, especially in those more complex cases, we have a real emphasis on being discerning about friendships. Now, if we're discerning about friendships, what will that involve? Well, you want to be able to be yourself, feel accepted and develop that kind of trust. But what does that kind of mean? It helps if you know yourself a bit at first. And I think this is, again, where the character strengths help. If people are aware of what their top character strengths are, we've talked about that exercise, the positive psychology exercise of developing your character strengths, you want to have some of the best in you acknowledged and fed back by others. If others don't recognise your positive characteristics, then that's a problem sign because it's important for us to be affirmed by people around us, especially in realistic ways. But... How do we be discerning? One of the things is to have some kind of common goals. 
with others. So we talk about with flow, having a sense of purpose, having an intention. Well, we're more likely to develop positive friendships if others have similar interests, if you like. So they can have similar goals and intentions as well. If there's some kind of reciprocal feedback, so hopefully that includes other people conveying they like you and enjoy spending their time with you and vice versa. So that's an important part of positive relationships and feeling that that feedback, if you like, is genuine, being able to trust in that. Facing some challenges. Now, that can include different kind of skills. You might enjoy playing sport together or something along those lines. But also the challenges of developing a deeper friendship as well. Part of that can include managing conflict with each other or being more honest or open with each other about certain kind of things, allowing some of that intimacy to develop further. And part of that intimacy as well, of course, is that need to invest energy and time. So is that somewhat reciprocal? Are people prepared to invest that time and energy with you rather than feeling it's very one way? So there's some of the principles of flow that also apply to our friendships. Well, certainly, Dan, it's very fascinating. It's uh, as, as you were describing that there at the end, you know, I think in Australia, you talk about that sense of, you know, feedback in relationships and stuff. And one thing that we really have a fair bit of in Australia is that idea of banter amongst friends. And, you know, I think of many friendships that I have and, and I suppose that, you know, flow would be, you know, it'd look a little bit different in a whole range of ways with a lot of friends. You know, some we like playing sport, others we like having a bit of, bit of a robust discussion about a topic, others more kind of, you know, hanging out and, and chatting about sport, whatever it is, uh, you know, whole range of friends. But at the same time, I think what we have in Australia is this aspect of, you know, light-hearted kind of play and banter and that can take the form of you know having a little bit of a go at your strengths but it can also be your weaknesses and I think that part of the almost thing about Australian friendships at times is you've just got a real sense of kind of what all your friends are thinking because of that you know, almost banter that's coming back either way and of course not all friendships are like this and you know you don't want to have too much of it where it's you just you know just finding ways to rib each other the whole time you want to find a balance with this sort of stuff but at the same time I find an interesting thing in Australian culture that is, yeah, is we have this idea of banter and I think part of what that does is, yeah, it almost gives a real sense to our friends of, you know, oh, yeah, now we've got our eye on this or, you know, you may need to, uh, may need to watch out for that or, you know, that won't fly here. But it's just a really almost gentle way of doing that. I like that. And the whole idea of banter is spontaneous, isn't it? It's spontaneous, it's automatic. So it's got those aspects of flow. And also there's often a fair bit of wit involved. Like if someone was just making very lame jokes, that would probably be pointed out pretty quickly in terms of the banter. There's a certain quality expected of banter, isn't there? And so I think that's where some of the skill side of that comes in. But it's also people being able to be themselves. It's as you say, being able to let your hair down is part of that and feeling accepted. That's all part of that differentiating and integrating, still being part of the group. Yeah, very much so. I think it's uh, certainly something where with banter, you want to focus a bit more on the integration than the differentiation because if you're too out there, it's just, uh, you know... doesn't work. Who's this fellow? He's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's... Uh, but yeah, fascinating topic, Dad. And look, we are we didn't plan to go as long as we we have for this one. So we'll have to see if all of our our uh, follow up episodes go for this amount of time. I hesitate to say they will, but look, very much enjoyed chatting with you about this today, and and certainly talking about flow last week. It's it's an absolutely fascinating topic. Good, Rowan, and I look forward to next week. <laughs>